Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f What the f gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it. Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. So I don't have any great words of wisdom to talk about in the intro to this podcast, this episode. So I'm going to cut my comment short. I will just make one quick, quick comment. Don't you love democracy? The Greeks had a vote. The politicians listened to the people and ignored everything they said. Crazy. I don't think the ending's yet to be written about the Greek monetary problems or budgetary problems or political problems. So we'll, we'll keep watch. It's an interesting world we live in right now. So we were sitting around at a little restaurant on the island of Kalnimnos. And this is really the first time we started doing a lot of recording. And we made a lot of little vignettes. We were sitting around pretty much all afternoon, drinking beer, having a little bit of food to eat along the way, and just watching time pass us by in this little Greek village. So every now and then we would just start the recorder and and make some comments for the podcast. And as I listen to this episode and as I'm putting together these these audio files, my mind goes back to that day. That was really a very pleasant day. We got in fairly early and we just sort of whiled away the afternoon wandering around the village talking to the people, sitting in this cafe, looking at the sea. And I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get a little bit of the atmosphere that we were experiencing at the time. It's not a real long podcast, but I hope you enjoy it. If you have any comments, please feel free to drop me a note, franz at medsailor.com. I did get a comment from a listener in Ireland who asked to review the ASA 104 course for me. And so I sent him a, a copy of that. Before I get on to this episode, let me do my quick advertisement. If you are studying to pass the American Sailing Association certifications 101, 103, or 104, I have a series of audio lessons for each one of those episodes. And you can find them in iTunes and in Amazon, but if you'd go to the website medsailor.com and buy them through gumroad i get a little bit bigger of the cut prices are the same but a little bit more of it goes into my pocket without having to pay some of the distribution fees that itunes and amazon charge so do me a favor if you're listening to this podcast and those courses are of interest to you please buy them through the website through the link that will take you to gumroad and it'll take your credit card information, and then you'll be able to download the episodes. Also, the advantage of doing it through the website is you can get the full series of lessons instead of having to buy multiple downloads, which you have to do in iTunes and Amazon. All right, let's move on to the podcast. So yesterday we were in Niseros. We rented some bikes and rode around the island, but what I found interesting was when we came in and, and tied up, we actually stayed in Nisros for two nights, 
when we came in and tied up the first time, the boat next to us was a charter boat. And it turns out the amazing Jack Andres speaks their language. Jack, tell us about your interaction and your hangover the next day. Thanks, Franz. Yes, it was uh, a boat full of Polish people who were also cruising with two other boatloads of Polish people in a group. So they were chartering and they were back out of cars and heading out on Sunday. But um, as soon as they realized, well, I was actually dobbed in by Neil, wasn't I? Sort of, he said, oh, look, it's your compatriots. Um, I was hoping just to not say much because my Polish skills, whilst uh, complimented, are not really as as good as they should be. Certainly, uh, <clears throat> the only Polish I speak is to my parents, so the typical home discussions. But uh, they invited me over for a drink, and I, the first thing I did was sort of avoid to go, avoided going there too early because I knew that uh, once I found myself stuck on a boat full of Polish people drinking vodka, it was not going to end very well for me <laughs> for the next morning anyway. So... Um, yeah, they, and they were an interesting crew. They had a pretty full boat. Um, it was a group that was really spread out through Poland. They sort of got it in touch with each other, and whilst they're sort of in the same region, they were very central. So it's not like they were on the coast in Gdansk or somewhere. They were uh, very central in Poland. Um, one was a manager or owned a business in heavy machinery. The other guy was an undertaker um, and a railway mechanic that had retired So and associated uh, wives and girlfriends. Um, and they certainly enjoyed their cruising time here in Greece. Um, a little bit of vodka was had, so not too bad. I Tell think about the riding around the bicycles the day, that day, what you saw. What yeah, so, um, and the riding the bikes, or certainly riding the uh, the mopeds, was certainly interesting around that island. We visited parts that were very pretty, very engaging, very scenic, um, and a total lack of people. There was villages that had dozens of houses but uh, only a couple of people that you could see at any one point in time visible. Um, they're all white, blue windows, blue doors, blue sky. So posting some of those pictures on Facebook and so forth uh, certainly in- incites comments from, uh, from friends because it's very picturesque. Um, there is a fort that has been... Uh, done up and the fort is on I think it was uh, 400 years BC yeah so it was built in 400 years BC so 4th century BC and uh, it had been restored as a bit of a project but then it's sadly you go there now and whilst the reconstruction and the work they did around that fort had won some EU award for reconstruction of historic places it uh it's now overgrown with weeds and looks like the lights don't work around it and it sort of seems to have in the last couple of years fallen back into some disarray i mean whilst the big big walls are still standing there there weren't too many tourists going there there was no fee for for entry and 
the washrooms weren't working and were shut up and certainly seemed to be a, a bit of an abandoned tourist project. So that was a bit sad. Um, what else? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So that dinner was spent at uh, at a little restaurant there, and it cost us 33 euros for dinner for three of us. So exceptionally cheap. And we were the only people that turned up all evening for dinner. I mean, we did stay there quite a while. Um, so it's hard to imagine how some of these places are staying open if they get, you know, three guys turn up for dinner and that's all, and no one else. Um, so the food, we found that typically a, a dinner out would, was costing us $45 with, um, you know, multiple dishes and drinks for three of us. Oh, sorry, €45. Euro. Um, but that place was even cheaper and it was in the, in the main drag of the town as well. So, so that was pretty cool. Is it, the other thing I found here is that Greeks have a problem with putting toilet paper in toilets. <laughs> like he... Everywhere there's big signs, do not do this. I, I don't understand it. but um, And they also have a problem with toilet seats. They don't have them. <laughs> so, yeah, so like last few islands that we've been to, it's, uh, there's no toilet seats. That's fine, but uh, different. Yeah, so we're, we're sitting here. And currently in the port that we're in, um, we were talking to a local guy and they were looking at putting in additional moorings for boats to, and, and it would certainly take the extra boats uh, in the sense that there's, a, there's definitely more space and there's more boats that come in and end up going out because there isn't space for them here currently um, but a proposal was put forward to, to the locals and it went up to uh, council level and then just sat there and nobody did anything about it, which is quite sad because I think the local businesses would certainly be benefiting from the current tourist traffic that comes through here. Uh, so there's probably about a dozen sailboats in at the moment, and they could easily double that number or maybe triple it if they really got themselves organised. It's probably about the most they could handle after that, but... Um, but yeah, it's a shame. And uh, the other thing is it's a, it's a bit shallow in parts, so it would need a little bit of work there. But it would certainly pay off in the long term. But unfortunately, some inefficiencies. We sit here and we've been talking about the IMF and the Greek loans quite a bit. And we're speaking to some locals who sp speak English and we asked them their thoughts on it. And the response was a bit like, well... We don't even vote, so we don't really care what's going on. As long as we, as long as it doesn't, as long as we don't leave the euro, that's all that seemed to be the issue. So there you go. Jack, we were sitting on the boat when you first arrived in Liros, and while we were sitting on the boat, a young young man came by the boat and said, "Here, take my card in case you need any underwater work." And we took his card. He was a looked like sounded like he was a British kid out for the summer, and he was. He had a tank and a scuba outfit, and he, wa he wasn't walking around in a scuba outfit, but he would retrieve anchors and do underwater work and clean the bottom of boats or do anything he could do really to make money uh, diving pretty much. And as we're sitting there talking, I discovered that Jack, in his earlier life, was a commercial diver. And he's been sitting here telling his stories about the training of commercial divers, the dangers 
of commercial diving, the dangers of free diving, and, and I thought we ought to try to get some of these stories recorded because they're interesting and informative at the same time. But, but one thing that, since I'm, a free, since I'm a free diver a lot, I don't have tanks on the boat, one thing Jack did tell me was something about if you're hyperventilating, there's some serious dangers for divers that hyperventilate, and I didn't understand this because I always took multiple hyper, multiple deep breaths before I dove, not knowing the danger I was in at that point in time. So can you explain that to us, Jack? Well, so I was quite impressed by Franz's story about the deepest dive he did free dive was 100 feet, and I thought that was pretty impressive because that was about the, uh, the best I could do free diving as well. Um, I'd sort of gone down and recorded depths around the 90s to, to late 90 odd feet and then we talked about hyperventilating and the fact that often you'll see people and even the professional deep divers that are setting records free diving um, hyperventilating and I was saying to Franz that that's all very fine if you're um, setting a record and you've got a support crew on scuba tanks and you follow a line down, they make sure that you get back to the surface without dr drowning. But um, quite often these guys are, are effectively meditating and getting ready for the dive as much as they are hyperventilating because typically hyperventilation um, takes out, obviously, all the CO2 out of your lungs and the residual CO2 that's left over in your lungs from your normal breathing is removed. And that is one of the triggers to breathe and the advantage of depth when you're diving is that it compresses your lungs and it increases the partial pressure of the oxygen and the lack of oxygen is typically another trigger to breathe obviously um, but your body's reaction to a lack of oxygen is to pass out so if you go deep on a dive your body's thinking that you've got more oxygen in your lungs than you have. You feel as though you can dive better because you're not as buoyant because your lungs are compressed. So it's easier to swim deeper after you get past 30 feet. But then you miss out on that trigger to breathe from the uh, carbon dioxide being vented out or have, you know, being extracted by the hyperventilation. And, of course, the O2 trigger is being confused by your depth and the partial pressure increasing. So as you swim to the surface, finally... So as you swim to the surface, finally, you get that situation of... Um, your body goes, oh, I have no oxygen left. And typically, if you're holding your breath on the surface, it would be the CO2 buildup that would have asked, made you take another breath. But uh, by the time you lack the O2, your body passes out, you faint because you're conserving oxygen for the brain and of course that's called shallow water blackout and kills many free divers um, and is you know, pretty dangerous because uh, most divers alone diving, they'll black out below they, before they reach the surface and then they just don't appear on the surface at all and drown so definitely um, Supposedly the safe bet is no more than three deep breaths to hyperventilate before you go for a dive. Um, I think that's sort of, you know, test it for yourself. I'm sure you can do a little bit more, but if you do it for two, if you sit there for two minutes hyperventilating, then you've cleared out that trigger to breathe on 
And on the way up, by the time the lack of O2 triggers you to breathe, it'll be too late. So, yeah, that's the story on that. Glad we need to talk about... Uh... One of the things you learn about when you sail with a crew of strangers is what they do for a living. And Neil's really never talked about his career and his career path and what he does. And I've come to find out that he's an editor and publisher of one of the few remaining print newspapers in America. Tell us about your business, Neil. Uh, thank you, Franz. Yes, that's right. There's only one or two of us left. So... I am the publisher of a newspaper called the British Weekly, which was founded in 1984 in Santa Monica, California, where it still is. Um, and it was created to serve the British community in Southern California. The, uh, the Brits go back a long way in that particular part of the world. Their, their presence there goes back basically to the beginning of film. Um, you know, it's often forgotten that Charlie Chaplin was an Englishman, Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. Uh, well, Stan Laurel was certainly English. Um, so a lot of Brits started there in the film industry in the 1930s. And then after the war, a lot of came over from the aerospace industry who'd been employed in, the, in aerospace during World War II. And then the 60s brought another influx mainly in the music and also in the film business. Um, and then the 70s and 80s were a very depressed time in Britain economically, so that brought a whole new wave of immigrants. So the bottom line is when the paper was started by my predecessor, there were about 300,000 Britons in Southern California, especially, uh, specifically Los Angeles and uh, Orange Counties. So he started a paper. It was a digest of weekly news from Britain, which I started off as a writer for. I got my first gig writing um, uh, sports for him, and he liked what I did so much that he gave me a music column, then he gave me a gossip column, and by the time he wanted to go back to um, England in 1989, I was writing half of the paper. So I managed to pick up the paper from him um, for a very reasonable price, and I've owned it ever since. So what we do is we service the local community, and there's, uh, we have about 100 drop-off points, and we have a readership of about 30,000 a week. Um, and we're fortunate that a lot of the ills that have afflicted the, um, the mainstream press have not afflicted ethnic and specialty papers as much because it's a very special niche, and the readers tend to, one, skew older, um, which means they keep up their newspaper habit, and two, they also tend to be really quite loyal towards their local ethnic newspaper. So we've been able to hold on to our readership. And I think uh, we've got a mobile disco going by in the background. So I'll just, I'll just wait until he's um, disappeared. Okay, it looks like he's going to come by again. Um, but we've been lucky enough or uh, hardworking enough or persistent enough or whether it's just dumb luck. To, to, to still, <laughs> excuse me. This is this is the perils of live radio. Not only does this gentleman decide he wants to drive by with his mobile disco blaring, but he has to do it just when I'm recording something. Um, so anyway, the bottom line is this: the advent of the internet. I know this is going to be no surprise to any of our listeners out there. The advent of the internet has created an enormous amount of challenges for the print newspaper industry. Some have weathered it better than others. We have still been able to weather the, uh, the storm, and we're still thriving. We're still doing really ver quite well. 
Um, and that's really a blessing. Now, we're here we are in 2015, 20 years after the internet started to get widespread adoption, and we're still in business. So if anyone's interested in taking a look at our website, um, you can certainly do that. And if you would like to see a copy of the print edition, just send me an email, editor at british-weekly.com, and I'd be happy to send you a print edition too. And um, that's what I do for a living. That is my vocation, but uh, sailing is my avocation. And uh, much as I love the newspaper industry, if I could make a living in sailing, I'm <laughs> that might be enough to make me uh, make uh, make a make a jump from one to the other. Um, and that's pretty much my story. So one thing that occurred to me was that we hadn't mentioned the name of the restaurant that we're at. It's called the Igayo Pelagos, which for the classical scholars among our listeners, will be able to tell us that that means the Aegean Sea in Greek. And uh, it's really a first-rate place to stop in terms of the food. As Franz said, it was the best calamari we've had so far. And there's a tremendously chatty Australian gentleman here who will be able to... uh, We don't know his name yet, but he's very friendly. He's got a Fu Manchu moustache. And he's here from 9 o'clock in the morning till 11 o'clock at night every day. And uh, he will be delighted to um, welcome you and give you a glass of Retsina. And uh, as we said, some of the best calamari you'll ever have. So again, the Igayo Pelagos, which means the Aegean Sea. One of the things we've been doing when we, while we've been here, when we get to a port, is we find a cafe that has internet access and we all check our emails. But Neil's been very good about posting new information to our Twitter account and to our Facebook account. And I just got to notice that a, a video is up for for editing and approval, I guess, right now. So Neil's adding a lot of content to those social media pages. So if you're interested in seeing a little bit of what we're doing, make sure you go check those out. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. If you have comments, drop me a note, franz at medsailor.com. If you would be interested in reviewing my ASA 104 course and be willing to write a review in Amazon and iTunes, once you review that, an honest review, drop me a note and I'll get you a code so that you can download it. Also, if you're studying for the American Sailing Association Certifications ASA 101, 103, or 104, I have audio lessons available for each one of those certifications they are available at the website which i would prefer that you purchase them through also they're available at amazon and itunes the website is medsailor.com m-e-d-s-a-i-l-o-r.com thanks for listening joe you have something to tell me No, I don't think so. I just got off the telephone with Bill Rutherford. Princeton can use a guy like Joe. What? Princeton can use a guy like Joe. His exact words. That's unbelievable. You're as good as in. I knew you could do it. Haven't I been telling you, every once in a while, you just got to say, what the heck, and take some chances. You are so right. You've made me very proud. I was just thinking where we might be 10 years from now.
you know? <laughs>